And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host the trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. The culture is the culture. It's 4-6A to to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. We're back with another episode of 4 to 6 with A&B, your Ohio State podcast here on The Athletic Bill Landis, alongside my good friend Ari Wasserman, who uh, remains on the other side of the country for me, connected via shaky internet. Hopefully this goes okay. Uh, we did not have a show last week. Again, life kind of gets in the way of this thing. We're going to try to be a little more regular, I think, with, with our shows, but you know, it's summertime and the world's opening back up a little bit. So there might be a week or two where we don't have one, but we'll try to make up for it with the following week's show. So we might go a little longer this week. Um, some recruiting stuff to get to, a p- couple of commitments that came in in our a little bit of time off there. Um, some really, I thought, um, illuminating, enlightening um, comments from Gene Smith last week in regards to getting back to play, what that might look like, maybe a little timeline, Ohio State players will be back on campus um, in a matter of weeks, June 8th, and we'll talk about that and, and what all that means, um, and then maybe we'll get into some other stuff too. But all right, let's start off with recruiting. Um, Denzel Burke, four-star cornerback from your neck of the woods, Saguaro High School. Did I say that right, Saguaro? Saguaro, yeah. Saguaro in Scottsdale commits to Ohio State uh, over the weekend. Um, I think they needed a corner in this class, and there were a couple of guys out there that they were looking at. Barrick was one of them. The other one was Jalen Davies from Modern Day, another pretty prof- high-profile guy. What, what do you make of this Burke commitment? Do you think it has anything to do with Davies? Do you see them adding another defensive back? Because at the moment, they're pretty full up on DBs in this class. Yeah, I, I think that uh, this should be it um, from what I understand, and that's part of the reason – why Ohio State is what it is. You know, there's an urgency to commit and take spots. Uh, you know, in between Ja'Kalen Johnson and Jansen Dunn and Devontae Smith and Andre Turrentine, I mean, that's a really solid group. And Jalen Johnson, I think, is going to make a transition to outside linebacker. So I guess you never say never when it comes to whether or not they want to add somebody. I guess sometimes um, these things are kind of cyclical in terms of where things are going to be and 
numbers and decisions and decommitments and commitments and space and departures and there's so many so many things that go into it and i know that ohio state likes to sneak in the uh extra four-star prospect when it can and that certainly falls true in this category but i do think that you know it's just super interesting to me more so than the the need of the position is the fact that ohio state is at a point right now where it's signing top 185 player in the country and it just doesn't even seem like a big deal anymore <laughs> yeah he's like he's it's a 19th commitment in the class because they also picked up, i don't know if we talked about this jesse murko a punter from australia is also a part of this class and he's one of the pro kick pro kick australia guys and i actually have a little bit of something on him and something i'm going to write for wednesday i talked with jesse over a zoom call like a week and a half ago and just haven't had time to get around to writing it because of the, some of the stuff that was going on um but that'll be up on the athletic on wednesday um along with some other stuff so with him and burke in the fold they have 19 commitments so not only are they signing really good players with what is it 11 top 100 guys at the moment um they're almost full like it's may 26 when we're recording this and their class has 19 commitments in it already yeah i mean the crazy thing is that uh this commitment is burke is rated number 183 in the country and he's the 14th highest rated player in ohio state's class and like now we're starting to get into the territory of a is Ohio State going to break the average player rating uh, record that Ohio State itself holds from the 2017 class, but are they going to sign the greatest class of all time? And, you know, I think you and I are going to get into this more deep, deeper or more deep, whatever, uh, here in the next few weeks. But they're doing things right now that, like, are, uh, you know, are very rare. And, you know, if they're in a position to potentially sign 13 to 15 top 100 players in the country, I mean, that's just a ridiculous amount of depth. And, you know, there have been teams in the past that have signed five five-star prospects and, you know, have signed some pretty top-heavy classes. But I've never seen really uh, <laughs> a class like this in terms of the depth of talent, which is reflected in the average player rating. Yeah, the average player rating is going to be, in, in the end, the best it's ever been. And, and so at the moment, Ohio State has the record, and this is almost a full point higher, full point higher in this class. Um, and Which I is dramatic. Them, yeah, it's a lot. When, you, when you're talking about the average, that, that's a lot. One full point's a lot. And when you look at like who's still out there for that, because even we talked about him, like, I'm not 100% sure that getting Denzel Burke does close the door on getting Jalen Davies. Um, he's from out west, and, and I think maybe you'd like to see a guy like that get on campus before you make a move on him, although there are a couple guys in this class, Burke included, who have committed without ever visiting Columbus. But Davies is a top 150 national prospect. Um, as well there are five-star guys on the board like they're not really there are times when ohio state's building a class and like it gets toward the end and there are a couple like of three-star guys that are added late to help bolster the bottom half of the class like they've done that already and everyone they're looking to add kind of from here on out whatever is left five six spots like they're all it, at the, like at the very least almost all of them i think are top 200 players so it's, it's not anything that's going to really bring down that average in any significant way in in, in theory i think it could get a little better depending on how many of these five-star guys they end up with when we're talking about like emika buka and um jt tuimalo and jc latham like if they start adding all those guys too like that number could go up a little bit which is kind of crazy to think yeah i mean in jalen davies i mean i've talked to the guy he really likes Ohio State. Like he strongly implied to me, and I don't know. This was about a month ago, um, so maybe things have changed. But a month ago, that he said, uh, of all the visits I have to make right now, Ohio State's the first one I'm going to when I can. And he made it seem like he was committing to Ohio State when and if that that visit occurred. So, you know, in terms of slamming the door on somebody who uh, currently ranks as a top 140 player. 
um, out of the state of California, and especially at a program like that, I think would be stupid. And definitely somebody, in my opinion, that could help bolster this class. And, you know, they can get creative and, and figure out a way to, to bring these guys in. And, you know, it's just that position specifically has become a hotbed of, of, of talent for Ohio State because who doesn't want to come play um, at a place that is developing cornerbacks uh, as first-round picks at the clip that Ohio State's doing it right now. And, you know, I, I think that I'd like to see – uh, that continue a little bit more on the defensive line. And I know that's kind of a weird thing to say because they've got the number three rated player in the country committed as a defensive end. And, you know, they also have um, another top 30 player defensive end. Like it, they have really good defensive linemen, but if they can get JT and we pronounce his last name for me. Tui Malau, I think is how you say it. I just wanted to put you on the spot because I don't know if it's correct or not. It's just a really hard either. thing to pronounce. Yeah. Um, but you know, you see that with the defensive side of the ball, Ohio State's putting together a class where, in my opinion, it'll be like the 17 class where it's national title or bust because that's what happens when you, you sign this much talent. And, you know, we're talking about um, a class where, let's say, the 15th rated player in the class out of the 19 so far is Jansen Dunn, and he's a top 200 player. Like, Jan- Jansen Dunn has every bit of an opportunity to become a first-round pick talent as the guy who ranks as the number 57 player. You know what I mean? It's just um, when you start getting that deep in it, the chances of hitting and the chances of missing, you know, it's so much more in Ohio State's favor than when you just sign six top 100 players. So to me, like Ohio State's in a position right now to fill out its two deep with just one class, and it's looking pretty freaky right now. It is, and, and I think like just as a, a point of um – clarification here on some of the numbers because i i think if if you're listening to this and and you're not looking at it it might sound like we're talking about adding a lot of defensive backs to this group and with burke's commitment um he's a true corner i think jk johnson's a true corner Devontae smith i think is going to be a corner there's a couple safeties in the mix too like we're talking about five six possibly seven defensive backs um they kind of missed their number on corner I think maybe last year or the last couple of years, like that number has been lower. And if you look at what their roster, like how it's going to turn over, like Marcus Williamson is a senior. Sean Wade is done after this year. He's going to go to the NFL. I don't think it's crazy to think seven banks or cam Brown, one of those two could potentially play themselves into a position where they could leave early. We have no idea what Tyreek Johnson's future is because he hasn't been on the field yet. And then behind that, there's only freshmen, Legend Cavazos, Ryan Watson, Cam Martinez, whose position I think is a little unclear at the moment too. So they needed to load up on corners. They have three now with Burke. I, I think it's within the realm of reason to add a fourth and a guy like Davies if you think you can get him. And that, that's a big group. And maybe when you take a group that big, you you accept the fact that maybe they won't all pan out. But I think you take a couple and hope that you can replenish those numbers and, and find a stud or two and – it looks like Burke is one of those guys. He's not. He's he's an athlete on the two four seven sites. But if you watch like his film, he's pretty explosive as a receiver. Actually, he he actually looks like he could play a receiver at the Ohio State level too if he wanted to. But the idea of putting a guy with those kind of ball skills in your defensive secondary who's who seems pretty explosive and has good size, um, it's a pretty scary proposition. Uh, it, it, he looks a little um, more dynamic maybe than than some of the guys they've they've brought in at the position here so far. And what's crazy is that Ohio State missed out on Clark Phillips right at the signing period last year. And that was a huge blow to Ohio State's depth at that position, as you just said. And now Davies potentially could be an extra addition to this class to make up for that, and they're both from uh, Southern California. So it's, it's such a weird world with this recruiting stuff, but absolutely feel like they, they should have 
I think Ohio State feels like they should have another top 50 corner on their roster right now that they don't have. So if they want to stretch to make it an extra one, that makes sense to me. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna tee one up for you here before we move on to something else as it relates to Denzel Burke. Um, Ohio State gets Denzel Burke. They got JC or um, – Don't do it, Bill. <laughs> who's, who's, who's Lathan? I was going to call him JC Latham. It's Lathan Ransom. Um, from In last year's class, Jack Miller is from Arizona. They're getting uh, top-end talent from good high school programs in the state of Arizona. Why – are these kids leaving Arizona? Well, one university in Arizona is not trying, and the other one's just not good at it. So <laughs> uh, that's my explanation for it. And it's such an interesting story, and I hope uh, to maybe work on this while I'm here. Uh, but you know, everybody in this state is like a tra- is like a transplant. You know, like I feel like all your friends probably and uh, you were born in Philadelphia and lived there your whole life because it's Philly. In Arizona, like none of my friends that I grew up with are from Arizona, you know, and, you know, my generation, I guess, is a little bit older now, you know, 14 years removed from being 18. So it doesn't necessarily apply to me. But the roots of families that live in Phoenix um, aren't always or or rarely are uh, families that have had roots in Phoenix for a long time. So when you talk about like an Ohio State situation. A lot of times these kids have grown up loving Ohio State and have generational passion for the for the team um, that just exists inherently in their DNA. And that doesn't exist with the kids out here. But, you know, kids that are 15 years younger than me had parents that, you know, were transplants too. And, you know, at some point you've got to flip the switch. There's been a major geographical boom in this city. And the fact that last year Arizona and Arizona State didn't sign any of the top 53 or this year they have no commitments from top 53 players in the state of Arizona. <laughs> and last year they didn't have any commitments in the top 14 of their state. They didn't sign them. And the top player in Arizona last year was the number 15 player to sign at Arizona state. That is laughably bad. Like it's, it's like, yeah. it's almost a fireable offense. And I know that her, and the thing that's so interesting to me is that Herman Edwards is making like a really good headway in California. Arizona's a dumpster fire and they're like 6 months away from starting over again. So I don't even know if they're worth talking about. But Arizona State seems to be doing some things um that would indicate a potential future um competing in the Pac-12, especially at a time in which the Pac-12 is down. And they're recruiting California pretty well last year. Herman Edwards seems to have some juice going. It's a wonderful place to go to school. They suck. <laughs> they can't keep their own kids at home. There's no, I mean, there's no, else, there's no way to put it. How do you like look? How do you get in front of a podium on National Signing Day and tout up your class, knowing you couldn't keep anybody home? I, I just, it's yeah. the, it's the fundamental basis of what it is to be a college football coach. It's pretty absurd when when you think of it in those numbers you just laid out, and it's not even that you would expect Arizona or Arizona State to beat Ohio State for you know Jack Miller or Lathan Ransom or to beat Texas for Bijan Robinson. Um, I think maybe you'd like to see them try, even if it's if it's in the end sort of a, a full. Yeah, you'd there, like but, to see them try when yeah. they're driving Porsches. Yeah, I think you'd like to see them try, but even <laughs> but even below that, you'd like to see them like not having any commitments from the top fifty three in your own state is absurd. I was on I, the radio, Bill, with. Uh, Justin Ferguson and he like teed me every single time I go on the radio or I'm on a podcast they team me up with the same thing yeah and um, he basically was asking me the same exact question and it just does not make sense it just doesn't I can't explain it to you I don't have an explanation for it either um, 
but Ohio State continues to take advantage of it. And I, I think it's been, you know, we've talked about this before. Ohio State is a really good national brand. They can recruit anywhere, but like strategically, the way they attack talent filled places with out an incumbent power program that like is any kind of threat to them has been a little bit remarkable. And I guess they're not the only program that does it, but I, I don't know if there's anyone who does it better than Ohio state. When you look at some of the places they've gone places, you'd really never expect them to get a player from. And then they put down roots there and they, and they, they mine those areas for a matter of, of years sometimes. And, and they've gotten really good players because of it. And it's, it's a smart play when you're in a position like Ohio state and you need to supplement your, your, your own recruiting backyard is not as fertile as some other power programs at least on a, on a year-to-year basis the strategy they've had of going to these places like arizona like texas a few years ago tennessee um you know the pacific northwest um it's been it's been really smart and, and it's part of the reason why ohio state is is at the level it's at right now where it's recruiting at, at a level we've never seen from anybody before it's a big game of risk that's all it is and you know when you find and the reason why i brought up justin ferguson i had a brain fart and forgot where i was going with it but now i remember like Arizona, there was a kid named Jonah Miller, who's a four-star offensive lineman in Tucson, who just committed to Oregon, who has commitments from the top three players uh, in Arizona. And I guess you, as a Pac-12 person, would be happy to at least see that the players that are best in Arizona are staying in the Pac-12. But the point I was trying to make is that Jonah Miller released a top six, and he's from Tucson, and Arizona wasn't on the list. <laughs> they can't even make the top six. And, like, it's, like, funny. We're talking about Rutgers. Rutgers is, like, the biggest dumpster fire of a program there is in college football. Obviously, Greg Schiano gives them a burst of energy and hope for the future. But in the past five years, they've been a joke. And even Rutgers makes the top fives of these New Jersey kids out of respect. <laughs> or at least, like, you know, <laughs> Rutgers is in every, every top five of every major Jersey prospect in America. None of them go there. But at least they make the Arizona can't even make a top six. But does that that matters, right? Like I think it would be hard for an Ohio State fan to wrap their head around the idea of that mattering. But if you're in that position, doesn't it matter that the top players in your state like at least advertise you in some way? I think it's a good indication that the player at least respects your effort and your relationship with the local head coach enough to not spit on your face. He had Arizona <laughs> State in his top six and not Arizona, and he played at the high school of Kevin Sumlin's kid last year. He was teammates with someone's kid, and the guy didn't make the top six. Do you know how bad at recruiting you have to be? <laughs> to, to, it's like almost an insult. Uh. I, I get personally offended because, you know, we work really hard, and, you know, we are compensated for our work. And because of our compensation, like everybody else out there, we try our best to work as hard as we can. I can't afford a Porsche 911, and I don't have private time in a helicopter and I could make the top six of every Tucson kid in America. Or every Tucson kid in Tucson if I were the head coach of Arizona. All it takes is getting over and making effort and being cool. Like It's like step one. They're not even getting out of the blocks in Tucson. If, uh, if Kevin someone uh, gets canned after this year and someone who listens to this podcast gets hired as a head coach of Arizona, and they said to you, Ari, we'll pay you at minimum the same amount of money you make right now to come be our recruiting coordinator, would you do it? Uh, I need a raise. <laughs> you, uh, what am I going to give myself away for free here? This is a job interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it's good I would do it for exactly how much I make right now, which was three hundred grand a year. Yeah. Um, cool quarter million. I feel like I don't know if this is arrogant, and you tell me if it's arrogant because you know I've got a tendency to fly off the handle. But based on what you were just saying about Mark Pantoni and his ability to 
put up a, a map of America and go, well, there are four top 100 players in Phoenix, and Arizona sucks. Arizona State can't keep kids home. Let's attack that area and then get kids. And they also got in the mix with Keeley Ringo and Bijan Robinson last year. Yep. Let's not forget, like, they were in the mix for these guys. They got their quarterback, Jack, one of their quarterbacks, Jack Miller, and Lathan Ransom was a top 50 player, top whatever, top 100 player at the defensive back. Like, they're attacking areas. They're doing it in Seattle, and Washington is one of the top three programs in the Pac-12, and they're still doing it in Seattle. Um, to do it in Texas, you know, you, you said it. But sitting in the same room as Urban Meyer for seven years and listening to everything that that man has said for the better part of a decade about recruiting and the importance of it and strategy and asking him every question known to man, the three of us, me, you, and Doug Maurice. I learned a shit ton about recruiting because <laughs> I learned it from the best person who ever did it, really. So to me, back to the arrogance part, because that's my favorite part of the podcast, is me being arrogant. I think I would be a really freaking good recruiting coordinator. Now, in order to be a recruiting coordinator, you have to be able to sit there and watch a 13-year-old kid play football and realize when and when not to offer him. I, don't, I couldn't do that. But I could map out a strategy I think I would be personable enough to be a good recruiter. I would be persistent enough to show kids that they matter when they mattered. I'd get in my freaking car, if permitted, and go to their high schools. I do that now for a living. I would do everything I could to be a passionate, genuine, supporting figure as a recruiter. And I think that I would at least be able to make the the, the top six. And like to me, and I'm sorry for ranting, I'm just passionate about this. Arizona should be recruiting Ohio. (laughs) Like, I understand that, like, resources are small. But, like, I went to U of A, and I studied by the pool. And it was beautiful year-round, and it was a great place. The campus is stunning. There's mountains everywhere. It's in a Pac-12. They've got cool uniforms. They just put $20 billion or whatever it was into a new facility. It's not a very hard place to recruit to. So they should be coming out here and going up against Kentucky – and all the other teams that are coming in and raiding the second-tier talent, Michigan State, if you're a three-star prospect in Akron, and U of A, Kentucky, and Purdue are your final three, where are you going? Sign me up for you. It might not be Arizona every time, but it will be better than... Arizona's got two commitments, one from an unraked prospect. They're like 90th in the country in recruiting right now. It's terrible. You get the right coach, a young, energetic, personable guy to come into the Midwest and start trying to pick up some of these leftovers... You don't think they could finish sixth in the Pac-12? Yeah, I think they could. I mean, in theory, you got me maybe ready to commit. Si- yeah, I mean, just come and be a part of the A. Be something special. <laughs> I don't know what these guys say to these kids. I don't know. I understand, too, that it's a challenge to connect with a, with a teenager um, and to befriend them and, and, and make them feel comfortable. I know that that's a very challenging thing because they've got unpredictable behavior. But a lot of times... And the thing that I'm finding, the more and more I get involved in like trying to look at this stuff from a national level, I think a lot of times the basis and the answer to these questions is how much effort are you putting in? And if you don't like to be a recruiter or you don't like to recruit or call kids or do this, then you're never going to be successful as a head coach. And the reason why Urban and Saban and some of these guys are, are crazy good at it is because they love doing it and they feel the competition like it's game day every time they make a phone call. And if you feel like you're being burdened by this aspect of your job or you want to go to the NFL again because you want to avoid having to do road trips and all the stuff that that it takes to recruit, then you suck at your job and you shouldn't be compensated $4.5 million or whatever it is a year. I'm making up numbers, but they make millions of dollars and 
Kevin Sumlin drives my dream car and he can't drive that freaking car 2.1 miles away to the high school that has three top 100 players at the, on the roster that his son plays for and get there to the top five. Like, it's it's freaking ridiculous. Okay, thanks for teeing. I told you not to team me up, Bill. No, that was a lot of Arizona talk, so I'm going to spin this into an Ohio State thing. Hey, it's Ari here. We're going to get back to the show in a minute, but as the host of 4 to 6 with A&B that smells better, I wanted to take a second to talk about Hawthorne cologne and the importance of smelling good. Landis always tells me how great I smell, and so does everybody else that I come in contact with. So do yourself a favor and be like me. Take a two-minute quiz, and Hawthorne will tell you the two colognes that are best for you. One for work, one for play. It's totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co. And use my promo code AB to get 10% off of your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. And use my promo code AB to get 10% off of your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. What you just said about Saban and Urban, um, I think you maybe put like Coach O in that category, um, maybe someone like Kirby Smart. What kind of vibe do you get from Ryan Day in relation to those kind of guys? Because clearly the results would tell you that he's similar. Um, but I don't. He doesn't talk as passionately about it, I think, as some of those guys do, because Ryan Day is just a little more buttoned up, I think. But in terms of how he approaches it, how, how do you view Ryan Day? Yeah, that's interesting too, because like I'm still trying to figure out Ryan Day. Uh, like Ryan Day is Ryan Day buttoned up because he thought to himself before last year, I haven't done shit, so I'm not going to say anything, or I haven't done anything yet because I'm the first year head coach. Let me ease into my position here. And then once he gets playoff berths and potentially a national championship, which he's clearly on the way to doing, he'll open up a little bit more about it? Or do you think this is how it's going to be for 10 years? I think I it's more of the former. So do I. Um, and so, it's not that he's – it's not, he's super confident in his abilities. Like I can – like I think we all know that, and he coaches in that way. But I also think he's pretty media savvy and realizes that there's really no need for him to do those kind of things. Like he's already he's, – he's at like one of the best possible places he could be at, and he is very secure and has a great program. He's not – I don't think he has to prove much like in that regard. Ohio State kind of sells itself, but like as an individual, I think maybe um, over time you might see him open up and show a little bit more of his personality. But uh, he's also smart enough to know that he doesn't have to do that for Ohio State to be successful right now. And in the meantime, he doesn't have to ruffle feathers or burn bridges. And you and I have both spent time with him alone. He's a different guy when the microphones are off, you know, and that's like something that fans have to understand. And Urban was too. As you watch these press conferences on the OhioState.Buckeyes.com website or whatever on, on Monday, what you see at the podium there is not who he is when the door shuts behind him. And I think that Ryan Day is clearly an excellent recruiter and he seems to have fun with it. He's in the photo shoots. He's laughing. He's doing these graphics. And, you know, he's doing all the things that need to be done. But the other thing, too, that's so important right now um, to say, in my opinion, is just the basic fundamental need to have a elite recruiting staff. Like between Hartline and Combs and Larry Johnson, I mean, there are a ton of, like, closers on Ohio State staff and every time Ohio State signs a class the way that they're signing one right now, um, Ryan Day's going to get the credit. But like, let's be honest: if you're a uh, class is going to be a top, the top class in America, and four of those commitments are top fifty defensive linemen, like Larry Johnson's fingerprints all over that. So I think it's a combination of both. But the one thing I will say, and I don't know how he did this, and I think we've talked about this in the past, Bill, but the way that he salvaged the 2020 class. 
I think is more impressive than what he's doing right now. Obviously, this is the next step and everything that we've done to... Um, it was a 2019 class, I'm sorry, right? It was 2019 and part of and part of 20, yeah. But it was the more 2019. The 2019 was his first one. Right, so the 2019 class that he saved once Urban unexpectedly stepped down and kept together, they lost one commitment, I think. But I think that shows you the general inherent confidence that the players have in his ability. Um, so that's important, and that was even before he was the head coach. Uh, never was a head coach at the college level, so now I think like what you're seeing isn't surprising. But overall, I think he gets an A-plus in every category right now. I mean, you think about the names that are on the list that of competing to sign the best class of all time against. Like Urban's on that list, Nick Saban's on that list, Ed Orgeron's on that list. He's going to beat those guys in his second full class? It's yeah, crazy. it's pretty crazy to think. I think he's he is um, he is involved. I think in in recruiting sort of across the board in a way that that I don't think many head coaches are, or at least head coaches at this kind of program are. And maybe that's something over time that will change a little bit. And maybe it's something he feels like he has to do as he's still early in his tenure. But like I remember in that first winter, like after he was a head coach, going to schools to do stories, and like I've, the one I remember like specifically was Cincinnati Elder, and like Jacob James is there, and, and he's a, I think he's a nice player, I think he's going to be good, but he's a three star prospect. If Ohio State would have lost Jacob James, um, I don't think anyone would have been like, like what the hell is going on? Um, that's not to say that he won't be good here, but I just think that's the way people view recruiting. And I went there and did a story on Jacob, and in the midst of the conversations, was having like Ryan Day on the first day he was allowed back on the road to be a head coach, like went to Elder by himself and spent hours there just talking with the coaches, like bullshitting and talking about football. And I think part of that is what you have to do when you're new. But I also think that that's like sort of who he is. And like if he's doing that for players who are three-star kids in his backyard that he's going to get like nine and a half times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten, then like just think about how he's approaching the recruitments of guys like you know G. Scott and Julian Fleming. I think he, he's, he's very involved, maybe in a step past where he would even have to be you know, realistically. And, and I think if he's doing that, that, that bodes well for his future as a recruiter. And I think it's part of the reason they're doing what they're doing right now in 2021 with a lot of kids who have not spent a whole lot of time around the program. They feel very comfortable. I think with Ryan day and his staff, just from the, the few interactions they've had with them. And this stuff is like, it's a good point you make bill. Cause this stuff is years in the making. Like Ryan day, when he first got hired to Ohio state at Ohio state, wasn't a household name yet, but that man was walking around the Pickerington uh, North High School's uh, hallways without anybody knowing who he was, just trying to spend time with um, Jack Sawyer. And this was happening two years ago before Sawyer actually turned into the top three player that he is today. And, you know, that's the type of thing that needs to happen. And when you start talking about how does Ohio State have so much success landing these kids in the middle of a time where people aren't allowed to travel because of COVID. It's because he was wandering around hallways by himself at local high schools before these guys were famous or before these guys were known brand names. And, you know, I just think that, you know, it takes the extra effort that, you know, doesn't exist everywhere, especially at Arizona. And uh, that's what happens, you know, plain and simple being good at your job is one aspect of it. Being personable is another aspect. And being passionate and and motivated to do the extra work is the other half of it. And I think Ryan Day clearly has done those three things. And that type of thing is what makes this happen. It doesn't happen by accident.
Yeah, I agree. Um, so we're hoping that we're going to, I think we'll stop the recruiting talk there because we're hopeful to have like a more robust conversation. I think about some of the stuff, um, not too far in, in the future here. Um, and for those of you who stuck through our Arizona podcast that broke out in the middle of this Ohio state podcast, we appreciate you doing that. Uh, we do write about Ohio state, believe it or not at the athletic, uh, you can still get subscribed at the athletic.com slash four dash six. We'll get you 40% off of a new, new, uh, subscription. And, uh, while I'm plugging things, I'll also ask that you please uh, subscribe, rate, interview on Apple podcasts, whatever it is you find podcasts that helps us uh, as well. We're trying to continue to grow the show. We appreciate all the support and everybody listening so far. Um, as we've been doing this for, uh, it'll be almost a year, right? Coming up on a couple months, almost a year we've been doing this show. When did we Feels start? longer, Bill. When did we start? Last fall, know. right? I can't. It was last fall. I think it was before the season. Yeah, like August maybe? Yeah, almost one year. Well, one year. Time flies. It seems longer year. because you and I have been on the airwaves for the last five, for the yes, greater part yes. of the last five. This is your, but this your show. Five of us doing a show together. We appreciate you guys. <laughs> I just got teary eyed. Bill, you you emotional? John Hayes, you emotional back there? I'm not emotional. I'm not emotional. John might be. Um, Landis is never emotional about anything ever, guys. So I'm a robot. He is. He lacks human emotion. That's not true. I I, I think uh, it is. I possess the ability to be optimistic. Um, even if it might drive someone like Andy Staples crazy. Um, because I have been optimistic about a football season happening. For Such the, a good transition. Why do you, Such. Yeah, but you know, but you, when you do that, you ruin it. When you do that, you ruin the transition. When you do that, just let it happen. I ruined it? Just let it happen. Don't point it out. Just let it happen. Oh, God, I ruined it. It's okay. We'll pretend that didn't happen. We'll edit that out. Uh, Gene Smith was on a call, a conference call last week with a bunch of reporters on the Ohio State beat, and it preceded the vote from the NCAA Division One Council to begin letting athletes, and first it was football and basketball, now it's everybody, um, in June for voluntary workouts. And it was like the next step in potentially having a football season. And I've kind of thought all along that they'll figure it out and have one, and I th- probably was being naive and, and overly optimistic in thinking that, but I feel better about it now obviously i think a lot of people do i think you've been a little more measured in all this than i have um or maybe just a little more realistic so like this the things that have happened the last you know 10 days that the fact that ohio state football players will be back in some capacity on june 8th doing voluntary small group workouts at the woody hayes athletic center how does that make you feel about the potential of there actually being a football season this year so I'm going to try to like not be a doctor or scientist. Yeah, um, no, we're just two guys who like football, you know, talking about what we think. We're not doctors. We're not I think experts that in this field. I don't understand it at all. Um, I I don't get. And again, that's not who we are. We're sports writers, and I don't know if we're supposed to understand it. What I don't understand is how we went from canceling the NCAA tournament and creating a three month dead period from travel to Gene Smith indicating that there is a potential for 50,000 fans to be in Ohio Stadium in the fall when there's been no changes in the disease um, or, or the virus. Now, you know, this could be science that's way over my head that I just don't understand, but I do think that there's clearly some optimism or there's some um, indication that they really want this to happen because despite the fact that there's no vaccine and despite the fact there's no resolution on how we're handling this disease as a country and how in one state uh, you can go 
um, to the mall and shop. And in the other state, like Oregon, who is supposed to host Ohio State for the biggest non-conference game of the year, has banned uh, gatherings of more than 50 people and will thus have an impact on how many people can go to Autzen Stadium in the event that that game still plays. I don't know how we're doing both. So the fact that they're having um, conference calls um, discussing the return and the voluntary ability to come back and work out on campus and the survey and the responses that we got from a lot of the prospects or the players that we did at The Athletic in the um, anonymous survey that we did um, makes me feel optimistic that they think there's going to be a season. Now, I don't know, again, because I'm not a scientist or I'm not smart enough to understand or think at that level about how to handle a global pandemic. Um, don't understand how they're going to apply all the things and keep people safe because there are a lot of things that are unknown, like what happens if um, they go into the Woody Hayes Athletic Center and then one of the players gets sick? Or what if somebody on the other team gets sick? Or, you know, I just don't understand and I cannot wrap my mind around how they're going to put 20,000 people in a single building at most, or at, at least in 50,000 potentially at most into a building when three months ago or three weeks ago, sorry, not months, I couldn't walk into a gas station and order a roller food hot dog. So it just, it doesn't, it's the thing that's been most frustrating to me personally, and maybe I'm going too off the deep end here, Bill, so forgive me if I am, is that I can't seem to understand or get a straight story from anybody about anything when it comes to what's going on here. And I I, I, I don't know. Maybe you're like pounding your fist against the, the table on the other end of this because I'm going a little bit overboard here, but I don't get it. I don't understand, if nothing changed, why things are changing. No, I don't. Um, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think the thing that's hard when we talk about this, and it's part of the reason we haven't talked much about it, is because we don't really know. Like we're 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 trying to listen to people who are paid to know about these kind of things. Like we are paid to know about like college football and like how college sports works, and maybe a little bit other than that sometimes. But like we're not epidemiologists. We're not we're not really supposed to know anything about this, nor do we pretend to know anything about this so i think in this kind of scenario like it's okay to say i don't know i'd much rather say i don't know than pretend like i know something and say something wrong but the problem i think that we encounter a lot of times is like when we say that it might come off as us like somehow wishing that it works out that there's not football in the fall and like that is the farthest thing from the truth i think you and i would very much like there to be football in the fall for a lot of reasons um namely the fact that we can keep our jobs um but we just don't like we don't know what's happening. It's it's a little strange for me as well to see that, you know, that there's not much appears to have changed like in the world at large as it pertains to us being able to like fight this thing off. And maybe I'm wrong about saying that too. But at the same time, we're moving closer to this thing. I'm I'm excited to see it, but I'm a little nervous about what it might mean and what it might lead to. And I think the people in, in the positions of power who are making decisions are too. But it's not surprising to see that they would do anything they can in their power to try to get this thing off the ground because the prospect of not having football, as we said countless times, is like a doomsday scenario for many college sports programs. And even Ohio State, as robust as it is and, and self-sustaining, would take a significant hit if it didn't have football. It's half of its athletics budget. Um, so I, I don't know what it's going to look like. And, and it's interesting, I think, to kind of mull that over a little bit because some of the things that Gene Smith said last week, and and we don't only talk about Gene Smith because we cover Ohio State. Like his voice is also very important i think in these discussions he's a very well-known well-respected athletic director who's been on uh, countless 
panels and advisory groups and working groups and all this stuff. Like people care what Gene Smith has to say. And he said he has come around on the idea that maybe they won't play in front of, in front of fans and, and that would be okay. He mentioned the thing that you said about people maybe being in Ohio stadium and, and the fact that there could be between 20,000 and 50,000 fans in there. We don't know what percentage capacity, um, Iowa State, on the day we're recording this on Tuesday, put out a release that said they're going to sell 30,000 season tickets, which is like half their stadium, and that's all who's going to be in there. That's what they're planning for right now. Um, I think maybe we could see something similar for Ohio State. There, there remains the, the possibility that they could only play Big Ten opponents. Gene Smith threw that idea out there. He said he thought that'd be the safest way to go about this thing, which would like eliminate the Oregon game from the 2020 schedule. So it's going to look different. How different? I have no idea, but it does feel like we're inching a little closer to having football. And I think it's okay to be excited about that. And it's also okay to have reservations about that. Like it's, it's the kind of thing for me where it's fine. If you want to sit on a, on a fence, I think that's perfectly understandable. And what's crazy, Bill, is that we're not supposed to know because we're not scientists or doctors. But you know who else isn't a scientist or doctor? Gene Smith. So like the idea that he came out and said these things. If you even just go back and break down what you just said, there's a lot of this or that from him too, because he doesn't know. Nobody really knows what it's going to look like. You know, you go from only potentially having 50,000 people in the stands to potentially not playing the Oregon game and eliminating travel. There's a lot of wiggle room between those two things. And I think that the idea is that they really, really, really want to play college football. And right now, in this world, I feel like we've become in the last three weeks uh, more optimistic than we were the previous two months, uh, just in, in terms of the way people are going out in public again. And, you know, I, I think I used this story uh, in a text with you, but um, I wake up and sometimes go to the gas station in the morning uh, where my father gets coffee. And three weeks ago, they didn't have roller food. They didn't have donuts that were individually wrapped. They didn't have any of the food that you would usually have out at a gas station. And then three weeks pass, and that stuff's back out yet, but nothing has changed with the virus. So I don't understand why the precaution that was once in place three weeks ago is no longer needed. I don't get it. I don't understand this. And what I don't understand is why that seems to be a microcosm for the way the entire country is operating right now. And that includes the college football season. Like, we have become... I mean, canceling the NCAA tournament is a huge freaking deal. And I don't understand what has changed from then to now where we can start talking about these things other than blanket optimism that seems to be happening in the country in general. So, Well, my, I, think, I, I think there's... I mean, that you're talking... It's at the end of May. That was <clears throat> the second or third week of March, like March 14th, I think, when all this stuff happened. So there's been time for for people in medical fields to get their get a better grasp of this and the potential impact it could have on on you know people just sort of being out and, and living their lives. So I, I do think you and I may not know more because you and I aren't on the internet every day like reading about it voraciously. I think the people who are paid to study it and whose job it is to get their hands around this thing do know more about it than they knew back on March 14th or whatever it was when the NCAA tournament was canceled. The other thing about that too is like the NBA stopped playing and like. If pro sports aren't playing, then college sports just – I can't think they, – they can't fight the optics of playing while the professionals aren't playing. But if we're entering a world where the NBA is going to start back up, the NHL is going to start back up, baseball, they're playing soccer in some European countries, I would be shocked totally if the NFL didn't find a way to play this year. Like if all that's happening, then 
the NCAA and uh, like college athletic directors, I think, can feel a little better about the optics of putting amateur college athletes out there. So that factors into the decision too. But you know, like there's no vaccine, and I guess that's the, that's the end all be all in all this. But the idea that we don't know more now than we knew two or three months ago, I don't think that's totally true. Um, it might be true as it pertains to me and you, but I don't think it's true as it pertains to people who are making these kind of decisions. Right, right. You know, and I think the fundamental basis of the question that you asked is. Is it exciting and is it good to see that they are having these discussions? And, of course, the answer is yes. And if the question is how much do athletic directors want to play, really bad. They wanted to play really bad before kids were coming back on campus, and they're going to continue to want to play really bad, and they will do anything they can within the world of reason and maybe even inching towards unreasonable to get the season going. So I think they're going to play. It might not be fans. Um, It might not be... Uh, trips where you have to get on an airplane to play. It might be some rejiggering of the schedule, but like gun to my head right now, I do think that they're going to play games to some degree. But the one thing that I do fear, and I don't just fear this for sports. I fear this for humanity and this country. And I fear that a lot of people out there are not taking the proper precautions based on what we're supposed to do with the masks. And, you know, there's a lot of blind optimism out there and I'm just afraid that, in three months when all this stuff starts up again, that there's going to be a second wave of this thing and it's going to cancel it again. So that's the thing, you know, I'm not miss Cleo. I don't know the future. So like, I mean, it's whatever, but I just, to me, that's the one thing that we're not considering when we talk about this. Will they try to play? Absolutely. Will the circumstances around the disease and the virus be the same in July and August as they are right now? That's the only thing that scientists have to answer that question. Cause I can't. Yeah, I, I, the one thing I, I think that's that I've tried, I've tried to keep in mind, like in all of this, is like if anybody's saying anything definitively, I don't listen to them because nobody knows. People have ideas about things, and and certainly people are more experts than others. If somebody says to me like they're playing, it's going off, they're going to get a full season, like I don't listen to that. And if somebody says like it's not happening at all, like I think like the Michigan University president said like if there aren't students on campus, we're not playing football. Um, and maybe I'm, I'm misquoting that because I read it on Twitter and that's the worst place to get news. I think that's what he said. Um, I don't put, you know, a hundred percent stock in that either. And I, I think it's just people saying their personal opinions. But the, the thing that I, I think will happen and is on the table is that if some universities and programs aren't comfortable playing and others are the ones that are comfortable are going to play, even if that means that only 10 of the 14 schools in the big 10 want to play football, I think they'd figure out a way to make it work. And that was one of the things that Gene Smith said when he had did the call last week. He's, and I was actually kind of surprised to hear him say it. Um, he said like anybody who's in a position to play, assuming there are enough schools who are willing to play to, to get a, a season off the ground, like shouldn't be penalized because of some law in another state that's not, or not a law, but some, some rule in another state that's not going to allow another school to play in the same conference. So like it, it all goes back to, they're going to try to do everything they can to get the thing off the ground. But anybody who tells you they have an idea of what it might look like, I think it's all speculation still at this point. It's going to be a logistical nightmare. And they're going to need all the three months uh, between now and when the season's supposed to start to figure it out. But I do trust that they will do everything in their power to play. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see 
um, I was talking to somebody else in the Ohio State Athletic Department um, earlier on Tuesday about just sort of football coming back, and, and and Gene Smith said this too. It's like it's it's a weird way to couch it, and I don't mean it to come off the wrong way, but what happens when they start bringing football athletes back will go a long way in determining what they do with other sports. And if they start bringing guys back, and it's like okay, and they feel like they have a way to manage this as safely and as safely as possible, then then that obviously is good science to to get things going in terms of a season. But it's not just here; it's all over the place. Um, it's interesting that the Big Ten is like kind of doing it school by school, where like the Big 12 and I think maybe the Pac-12 or the SEC sort of had broader reaching rules for the entire conference as a whole. Like Illinois, I think, said it's coming back June 3rd and Ohio State's coming back June 8th and some Big Ten schools have not said when they're coming back at all. And it's still all voluntary and it's it's voluntary through the end of June. And then July, I think, is when we'll really have a good idea of, of when all this or where all this is heading. But for the moment, you know, in, in two weeks from now, you're going to start seeing whether that's on Twitter or Instagram or the schools themselves putting some things out like football players back on campus. And I don't know if any of us or you and I thought that we'd be in this place this quickly um, as we get ready for the 2020 season or what we think will be a 2020 season. Yeah, no, it seems like they're making a, a lot of progress in a shorter amount of time than than uh, I would have anticipated. And I do think that even if they do play, things are going to be different. Um, traveling regimens and media availability and reporters going to the games and I mean there's gonna be a lot of transition here but I do think it's obviously something that they want to do and I and I trust that they will yeah so um that was kind of heavy and and you know we I I don't don't apologize for it because we need to talk about it we just can't pretend like it's not a discussion that's happening but I hope that didn't turn anybody off and and I'll, I'll say like however you feel about this I think it's okay to feel about it because we're all trying to sort of you know filter through information that none of us are really experts in unless you're a doctor that's listening then you can tell us we're stupid if you want to um, yeah. but let's move yeah. on and I think that we're all kind of in the same same yeah. boat here Bill yeah no I think I mean, so we too. all want the best thing to happen for the country and we all want people to be safe I want the, the players on every team to be protected and we all want to get past this together and we're not experts and we're just kind of thinking out loud just based on what we understand about college sports and you know, if I'm wrong about everything I just said, then that would make sense because I'm not a doctor or a scientist. <laughs> so, right. But just based on, on what we thought, you know. Let's talk about the thing we're a little more well-versed in, and that's college football. At least we pretend to be more vers- well-versed in it. Uh, we had a really interesting question. We did uh, subscriber questions, I think, on the last episode we did, and we didn't get to all of them. But there was a really interesting question that came in um, from Brian H., who is not Brian Hartline, I don't think. Um, but it was it was – Pretty interesting, and I thought we could end a show talking about uh, this question that he asked us, and one talking about football and not, you know, other stuff. He said, um, "Hypothetical scenario: Ryan Day steps down tomorrow, and Ohio State is only allowed to choose his replacement by bringing in another current Big Ten head coach. Who are your top three choices to keep the OSU machine rolling at its current capacity of dominance? Which coaches could do better than Day at certain things?" Hey, it's Ari here. We're going to get back to the show in a minute, but first, a word from our friends at Hydrant. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to the morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everybody has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. 
There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com AB. That's drinkhydrant.com AB for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com AB. Okay, so how are we going to do this? Draft style, or we reveal one, one, and one, or do the whole think, list well, right let's, away? Uh, let's address the second part of that question first. Like, is there any coach in the Big Ten you would take over? Or, or not, maybe that's the wrong way to catch up, but the idea that there are coaches out there who could do things better than Ryan Day, um, I don't know if I would pick anybody. Like, other than, like, Pat Fitzgerald is probably better at coaching defense than Ryan Day. Um because Ryan Day is an offensive coach. But in terms of like running a program, recruiting, game planning, all that stuff, um, I think Ryan Day has kind of got it, even though he's early on the job. So I don't know if I would say that there's anybody out there who can do anything better. Um, I think maybe there are some guys out there who can scheme things up at, at a similar level, but better, I'm not, I'm not so sure. P.J. Fleck can row the boat better. Um, but let's do uh, – I think uh, Jeff Brom can can design an offense. Um, yeah, yeah, like Jeff Brom's but, a But, you know, the thing that is – Scott Frost. Impossible. What's impossible about this question is that everything went perfectly right for Ohio State in his first year. Um, their recruiting, as we mentioned, maybe perhaps, maybe perhaps, the best recruiting class in the history of recruiting, and they just went to the playoff after blowing everybody on their schedule out. So it's just like, what? Do, how, there's no other way to put it than no, because based on the sample size, there's really not much to criticize. Yeah. And the the other coaches in the Big Ten lose a lot because everybody else in the Big Ten loses a heck of a lot more than Ohio State has lost uh, in the last 10 years. So it's just – it's really hard. I think the first part of the question is far more entertaining than the second part. Okay, so let's go um, – let's reveal our list one at a time. We'll start with number three and work our way up to one <clears throat> and see if we have any crossover. Um, so I'll let you go first with your number three. No, you go first. I'm no, scared. No, you go first. Okay, my third uh, pick would be uh, Scott Frost. I'm there with you. Same. You pick the same. Yeah, and I think there's going to be a lean here with like offensive guys, um, but maybe maybe there's not. But yeah, Scott Frost was my third. I think he. You know, I have questions about his recruiting and and how he's building. I know I realize that Nebraska is a really difficult place to build um, because there's no natural recruiting footprint, and they haven't been very good in a long time. But um, even with that, I still have a, a, a little bit of question about how he might go about building his team if he was put in a position to run a program like Ohio State. But from like an X's and O's standpoint, being able to scheme things up, um, being in tune with the ebbs and flows of a game and knowing when to call things that I think Ryan Day is really good at, um, I would put Scott Frost on a kind of similar similar level. And he also has you know kind of a natural tie-in to being he's off the Chip Kelly tree like Ryan Day is. So maybe there are some things that Ryan Day is doing, even if it's behind the scenes that we don't know about, that he learned from Chip that Scott Frost might be able to inherit and, and kind of push forward. I think it's just easy to pick the young um, offensive mind who is cool and has hype behind him. And I think like if Scott Frost had the hype behind him after leave, leaving uh, UCF that he had when he went to Nebraska at Ohio State, they would have signed a top five class. And then, of course, I think any coach who is in charge of all the talent that's on Ohio State's roster would be more um, able to game plan and win games because they have better players and to me i also have some question about scott frost as a recruiter because nebraska's in the middle of nowhere and they don't even play in their own conference footprint anymore but 
um, or they, they their their conference footprint is no longer in their traditional recruiting territories that were the Big Twelve. So I, I think that the, you kind of have to dismiss some of that. Um, but I just think that just young offensive mind with hype is a really good combination to be good at Ohio State. Okay, number two, Mel Tucker. Ooh, he's not on my list, but that's a good that's a good one. About, I mean, he's a yeah. He's got some juice right now. Like he, Colorado was fine. Um, he was a really good assistant coach. I I am hesitant to like label him like, yep, he's going to be a good head coach. But um, I can get behind it here. Sell me on it. Well, I mean, he used to be on Ohio State staff, and he has recruited Ohio very well, um, and has a very similar background to Luke Fickle. Um, just in terms of, of being here when Ohio State was good, learning from Jim Trestle, building relationships with high school coaches in the state, and he has some juice. So, like, I do think that even though Mel Tucker isn't, like, going to sign a top 10 class at Michigan State in his first year, um, he has seemed to gain some momentum on the recruiting trail. And, and frankly speaking, my list outside of Scott Frost um, was always going to be a very recruiting-heavy list because of how I passionately feel about the accumulation of talent and its importance in having a good football team. And just based on the fact that he has such a variety uh, in terms of background, he coached in another conference, he has a history of recruiting the best players that played for Trestle uh, to Ohio State. He knows what Ohio State's about because he's been here. I just think it's the natural, easy answer to have somebody like that on this list. Yep. That's a good pick. Um I, I agree with all that. I probably didn't uh, – you're going to be mad at me. I didn't factor recruiting in as much maybe as I should be only because – Why are we doing this? No, it's only because – it's not to say – like I didn't I didn't look at these guys' classes, I guess, to see you know, how they stack up because I think that when you're at Ohio State, you would just assume a better recruiting ability. Obviously, you can you appeal to more people. And it's just a matter of whether or not I think these guys are like into recruiting and would, and would pay it the proper attention it deserves. Um, so Tucker's a good pick, but I also think, you know, I would not, I don't know enough about Scott Frost to put him like in a similar category. And I don't think the results in Nebraska would necessarily put him in that category. But I think he's a good football coach, so I picked him. Um, I think I have a mix on my list. I didn't, I didn't just say like recruiter and then go from there. Although you picked Frost, too. I know. Uh, well, I know who you picked second. I already know. Who'd I pick? PJ Fleck. Nope. Jeff Brom. Interesting. Because, like, Jeff Brom was – I struggled with Jeff Brom and Frost at the at the bottom there. Because Brom is uh, a heck of an offensive schemer, and I saw him kick Ohio State's butt with a very uh, inferior team, and that was very impressive. And I know that he's – I'll let you sell it, but I think we're on the same page here. He kind of reminds me of Ryan Day a little bit, like in personality. He's got a different backstory. Like he was a pro baseball player, was in the XFL, obviously. Um, I think there's like there's a there's a grinder element to him that I always think is important in a head coach, and Ryan Day has that. Urban Meyer had it. Um, Nick Saban had it. Um, like guys that were pretty talented as coaches, but like really had the work for, or players, but really had the work for it. Um, and I put Jeff Brom in that kind of category. And I think that sort of carries over into how you attract people as a head coach. I think if Jeff Brom had the platform of Ohio state, he would be, uh, he would be a guy who, who would operate, I think in that setting really well in terms of being a captivating personality and, and recruit the kind of people you'd want to recruit here. Um, but he's like understated in the way that he does it, which I think is similar to Ryan Day. And then on top of that, he is a really good offensive mind, like a fun offensive mind, um, knows what he wants to do, recruits well, I think, to his system. 
Um, he's at Purdue, so I don't put too much stock into like what his recruiting results have been there because that's an incredibly difficult place to recruit to. But he's put decent teams on the field. I think he's shown an ability to coach his team up um, from time to time. And, uh, you know, he makes – what's he make? $6 million a year as the head coach at Purdue. So, obviously, they think very highly of him. Um, and I, I think he's got I think he's got some of the qualities of, of a Ryan Day that you would want to sort of put, push your program forward. So, that's why he was number two for me. No arguments here. Who's your number one guy? James Franklin. Not on my list. I picked the only dude that won the Big Ten. Yeah. That wasn't Ohio State. Like, I mean, he recruits really well for his resources. I think he makes boneheaded in-game decisions, and you have pointed out quite a bit to me. And just watching the sport for entertainment purposes, I've seen him do some pretty questionable things, namely the fourth down call at the end of the game a few years ago, the Ohio State game that resulted in Ohio State win. Remember that handoff that he did on fourth and five? Mm-hmm. Um where Chase Young got the stop there and saved the game. I thought that was a weird call. Um, But in terms of program building, he's the only other coach in the conference that has not only won the Big Ten, but has beaten Ohio State on the way to it. And uh, he accumulates talent pretty well for his resources. I think that um, there's still a a gap um, for him and inability to close on elite-level Pennsylvania prospects like Julian Fleming. I think those are red flags, and I get why – um, losing out on Fleming would make you question his ability to close the way that Ryan Day is closing right now or the way that you need to close at Ohio State to win a national championship. But who else on this list has done it? And I think doing it has to matter. I think that's a fair point. And, you know, he, he did do it. He beat Ohio State in 2016 <clears throat> and they went to the Big Ten Championship and they won. They haven't been to the playoff yet, but they've been on the, on the cusp of it a few times. I don't feel like... Like, like he was his last two years at Vanderbilt. Like I feel like he maxed out what Vanderbilt could be. I don't think he's. I, I don't. I don't know if he's done that at Penn State. He's had a couple eleven win seasons, and obviously when he took over, he had to do some building there because they were coming out of scholarship uh, sanctions. So I don't really hold the first couple of years against him with what he inherited. But there's just been like some thing like they go like he went nine and four a couple of years ago. Um, I don't. I don't know. I just don't. I. I think he's a good recruiter. He's certainly a good salesman for his program. I don't think he is a great like football coach, but you don't also don't have to be to, to be a good team as long as you make the right hires, and he's done that off and on. Um, I like the the offensive coordinator hire they made from, from Minnesota um, this year. I didn't like what they did after Joe Moorhead, um, but Joe Moorhead was a really good hire. Uh, I think he's got like he, he could come here and be successful. Um, I don't know. I think there's like a little bit of a ceiling with him, and I don't know why I feel that way. Um, just something about like the way things have gone there for him like doesn't make me believe that he could truly max out a program like Ohio State and, well, and, and operate on the level that it's operating on right now. I know why you feel that way. It's because Ohio State kicks their butt a lot of the time. And it's just like I think that they can't the games you know, are losing close, four though. games the game losing their four games uh, a few years ago and you know some of the things on the recruiting trail that don't go their way is one thing. But how good would Penn State be if they didn't have to play Ohio State every year? Yeah, that's part of the equation. Like I do think that that has to be part of the equation. And uh, if if you actually like look at uh, putting somebody in Ohio State's position, I think there are a lot of inherent advantages that exist at Ohio State that don't exist at Penn State. So like we're judging James Franklin on whether or not he can compete and beat Ohio State with what I would say seventy percent of the resources of what Ohio State's working with. I mean, Ohio State has a talent-rich state of talent to their self. And Penn State is in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. And I know that there are 
natural uh, talent areas on the East Coast and New Jersey and parts of Eastern Pennsylvania that you know they should be able to get guys from, and you know maybe even some in, in like the Scranton and you know the the snack belt, right, Bill? Yeah. Um, that you know has some good talent every now and then, but I think if you put somebody that has accomplished what he's accomplished at Penn State in the position um, to be Ohio State's coach in comparison to all the other coaches in the Big Ten. I think that his resume is like no doubt about it. Number one, like I can't imagine picking anybody else. I just don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know if I feel like he's elevated that program. And and maybe I'm like way off base in saying that. I don't pay like I think people who listen to this know. Like I went to school there, and I'm familiar with it somewhat. I'm I'm the most familiar with Penn State outside of Ohio State as, as far as programs in the Big Ten go. But I'm not like intimately familiar with what's going on with what's going on at Penn State. But I just feel like. Penn State is not like any it's better but I don't feel like he's he's really elevated in any kind of significant way and, and maybe you disagree with that um where I, I feel like like I feel like I look at PJ Fleck and I feel like he's elevated Minnesota I think he's made Minnesota something greater than it has been I know he's only been there a short period of time um but I I feel like if he stayed there like Minnesota is going to become the power in the Big Ten West and be playing in Indianapolis more often than it's not because of where it is, the resources that program has, and because of Fleck, and it's easier to do that in the West. I understand he doesn't have to play Ohio State every year. I'm not. I'm not saying because James Franklin can't beat Ohio State that he's somehow not qualified to to be the head coach here if it ever came to that. I just don't know if if Penn State's really like clicking on all cylinders like it should be under him. It's pretty good. It's probably like one of the top you know ten programs in the country. I think you know pretty confidently but i just feel like i've always felt like there's like another level there for penn state and maybe i'm wrong in thinking that and i'm not quite sure i think you are wrong i don't think like the i it it is in the middle of nowhere like you said like from a resources standpoint like it has all the resources it's hard to get there it's a pain in the ass to drive there for most places in the state of pennsylvania it's not like there's an airport and people can fly there I, i just don't think it's it's in my mind, it's not that hard of a sell. I think you're when you the way you talk about it, you make me feel like you believe it's a harder sell than I think it actually is. I also think that like making that elevation point, the only way that Penn State can elevate is if it makes the playoff. <laughs> like that, it's the you just said it's a top ten program in America. I think it's a lot easier to turn Minnesota into Wisconsin than it is to turn Penn State into Ohio State. For sure. Like I, I think that. Like those two things, like I, I don't make that journey with you the way you talked about Fleck, because I think if you put Fleck at Penn State, they would he would not be doing any better than Franklin would be. I just think it's a harder situation because you're at a program that has all the money and has a huge stadium and and, and has won a national championship in the not so ancient history, and expects to beat Ohio State every year and expects to go to the playoff, and getting over that hump by beating a team like Ohio State. It's the same thing Michigan's dealing with. Trying to be the team in the Big Ten East is a really hard freaking job, and James Franklin has done the best job of anybody in the Big Ten in terms of, of doing it in the history of my time on this beat. Coaches have come, come and gone, and Franklin is the is the closest thing there is to a guy who's able to manage a program like that. Yeah, I, also, I just think that I just think that also the experience of managing a big time program, <laughs> ironically enough, considering what they did with Day is kind of a big prerequisite in this in this equation. And, you know, the, the thing that, you know, we kind of have to address here, uh, and I joked with you before the podcast started that I was going to piss some people off, is the omission of, of Harbaugh from both of our lists. And we're talking about one of the top five highest compensated coaches in America, um, a guy that's supposed to revive and, 
elevate Michigan into a playoff uh, contender and win a national championship. And, like, he didn't even appear on any of the top three lists. And we had different people, so that means that he's, like, not even in the top six of who, you know, we, we had. Did you reveal your number one? Or did My number you, one, we were just talking my number about one is Fleck. I don't think I said it directly. But okay. number one, I think Fleck and okay. Franklin are very similar. Um, and I think if Fleck was at Penn State, Penn State would probably be what it is right now. And if Franklin was at Minnesota, we'd be saying the same things we're saying about P.J. Fleck in that program. So I think they're very similar guys. And if you want to say that James Franklin has proven it because he's been in a, a position to prove it, um, I think I'd buy that. I, I think I'd rather have Fleck. And did I it. think that Fleck is – I might be overvaluing Fleck's football acuity, and but I, I, view it, I view it a little better than James Franklin's. And I think as recruiters, they're very similar and can accomplish kind of the same things. Uh, the reason I didn't put Harbaugh on my list is I don't think he cares about recruiting enough. I don't think he cares about rec- – well, I don't know if he cares about recruiting. He certainly does. I mean, they've got a top seven class now, and he climbs trees and does cartwheels. Um, and does all those like cool things. He's the visionary that created the satellite camps. Um, like he has it in him to be a very thought provoking person when it comes to recruiting. And I do think that he is pretty good at it. Um, but the thing that I think is that he doesn't have the ability or the backbone to fire shitty assistants Mm -hmm. or to fire somebody who's in charge of like Jim Harbaugh, wouldn't be the person I would send to close on any kid with a one-to-one dis- one-on-one discussion, but I would send him along with a really awesome assistant to go close the deal. And the problem with Michigan is, is they don't have a identifiable plan as a recruiting entity. And even though things seem kind of off the, off the wall there a little bit, this whole uh, East coast Massachusetts pipeline thing does not make sense to me at all. And, you know, they're not recruiting at the same clip as Ohio State. They're still signing a top seven class despite the fact they have a dysfunctional plan. But doesn't the so, fact that like they have they, a dysfunctional plan reflect poorly on the head coach? That is why he's not on my list. So, like, you know, I think we are saying the same thing just in a different way. I think he cares about recruiting, and I think he's actually a pretty good one. I think when people love him, they love him. But the fact that he doesn't have the ability or hasn't had the ability to identify the right talent on his staff and to execute a plan, despite the fact that he's come up with these awesome ideas, is kind of concerning to me. Also, he can't win the rivalry and doesn't seem to give a shit and doesn't talk about it. So to me, that's not the right temperament for what Ohio State fans expect. I don't think that Ohio State fans, when they lose to Michigan, would accept or um, be okay with a lack of explanation as to what happened. I don't think they could accept a coach that doesn't talk to the media after a spring game. Like, I just don't think that he has a temperament to coach at Ohio State. I think he wants to do things the Michigan way because he's a Michigan man, but I just don't think the Michigan way is applicable to the way Ohio State runs their program. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, too, um, you made the point of, like, Mel Tucker having – like, P.J. Fleck was a GA at Ohio State, too. I think that matters. Um you know, Ryan Day spent two years in the program before he became the head coach. Before that, he was an outsider. Um, but he was familiar with Urban anyway, and, and what Ohio State is very much now is a reflection of Urban, I think. Uh, I I would you – don't, you don't have to have a connection to Ohio State to be a successful head coach here, but I think it would help you a lot to sort of, like, understand the enormity of the machine that you would be taking over. And granted, P.J. Fleck was here in 2006 under Trestle. It's different now than it was then, but it was pretty enormous back then too. I think having an appreciation for that can go a long way in helping you um, – hypothetically in this scenario take over the program and keep it moving in the right direction so that's another reason why fleck was on my list too hmm i think i might have pissed off some penn state fans 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Did I disclose that I went to U of A? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make sure because yeah. you were the big man there and said I went to Penn State. I just wanted to make sure that I think people know that about me, but I just I went to Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I kind of wish I did, though. I do think that Arizona's head coach would be the last person that I would put in place of any program in America. <laughs> so in the name of pissing off our alma maters, I wouldn't hire Kevin Sumlin to coach my high school team. I would I would hire yeah, I don't think that James Franklin is unhirable at Ohio State if it came to that. I would certainly not go that far. Yeah. Um and now that I think about it, I think I it's probably stupid and I don't, I still don't think I'd put him one. I should probably have him on here ahead of like Scott Frost. Um so maybe he should be on my yeah, list. Yeah, the fact that he's off your list is mind-boggling. Yeah, that was probably a mistake. Um I'm going to amend my list and put Franklin on there. How about I put I'll put Franklin uh I'll put him second. I'll put Brown third, Franklin second, Fleck first. Okay, everybody, just so you know, I've changed Bill's mind in two podcasts yeah, in a row. Yeah, it's, it's what's happening to I you. I think it's it's important for people to be open to uh, diversity of opinion and not be afraid uh, to be swayed off of theirs. It doesn't mean you don't have conviction. Um, Is that uh, dig at me? No, no, no. <laughs> but if you took it that way, maybe you should do some self reflection. <laughs> oh, Bill. <laughs> all right that's funny stuff man all right let's wrap up there um we had some other stuff we wanted to get to maybe we'll get to it in a later episode we'll be back again we'll do one next week too um i know we haven't been with you guys on a weekly basis we would like to be and, and we plan to be but you know it's the summer stuff comes up i'm gonna be on vacation and by vacation i mean just seeing my family in a couple weeks so we might not have one then but we'll be back next week with an- another episode Oh, four to six to eight four to six with a and b my goodness uh the ohio state podcast on the athletic again one more time if you would uh please subscribe rate and review wherever you find podcasts and if you're not subscribed to the athletic you can get subscribed at the athletic.com slash four dash six is or anything you'd like to say to the fine people before we sign off thanks for listening guys we'll see you next week As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.